Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Good morning. Welcome to First Naz. I'm Pastor Cliff Purcell, one of the pastors here. It's my privilege most Sunday mornings to get to teach from the pages of the Bible some idea that will either comfort us in one of life's hard times, explain one of life's mysteries, or equip us for day-to-day decision-making, and our hope is that it will do all of those things alongside this one other great big thing, and that is helping each one of us to really connect with the God who made us. In order to do that, I spend a fair amount of my time each week uh, studying the Scriptures and praying and trying to prepare myself and uh, a message that I can share with you each Sunday morning. So it is that come Sunday mornings, I'm excited to step up here for this point in the service and to share with you what I've learned from the scriptures this week and what I hope will in fact then help you draw closer to God and maybe become a life-changing moment for you. I spent this week studying the concept of growing in our faith, and I'm excited to talk to you about that today. Here at First Naz, we are very clear about our mission. You should be able to say it with me at this point. Our mission is to make more disciples for Jesus. Now say it like you actually have heard it before, to make more disciples for Jesus. We're all about that one thing here. Everything we do as a church has to have that purpose driving it, or it just isn't appropriate for us to give it time, energy, people hours, budget dollars, because Jesus gave us a mission. And so we have to make sure that this thing's all pointed the direction of the mission, make more disciples for Jesus. We understand that a disciple is somebody who connects with God and other Christ followers, grows in their faith, and serves other people as a way of serving Jesus. Last weekend, we talked about how to make a first-time connection with God, if you haven't done that before, and uh, how to stay connected with Him through weekly worship. And today, we're going to talk about how to grow and to keep growing in our faith. I'm going to send you back to Mama, okay? Because here's what will happen, is if I try to preach while you're playing on the altar, I'll probably just watch you. And I won't, <laughs> I won't be able to concentrate on the the things that I need to teach the congregation today. Can you help me out and sit with Mama, please? Or I can just try it like this. Okay. (laughs) Ah, So let me begin by stating something that may not be really obvious or implied. Here it is. Your faith is supposed to grow. Your faith is supposed to grow. Faith is not some mere legal status that you're either in or out of and gets you into heaven or doesn't. It's, it's not one of those things where either you have it or you don't. Faith is the way that you participate in the life of God, and it is the key to relationship with him. Therefore, faith isn't just this little box that you put a check in. I have faith, now I'm good. Instead, it's the dynamic of your relationship with God. And it, like all other living things, is supposed to grow and develop and mature. And if it doesn't, it will then begin the process of withering and dying. 
Now, you can probably see how that is conceptually true, but let me show you how the Bible places a very real responsibility on your shoulders and mine for looking after our own spiritual growth and doing whatever it takes to grow up in this faith of ours. The Bible, as you may know, is divided into two sections, Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament is roughly the first two-thirds of the Bible, the last one-third, the New Testament. And in that New Testament, there are two letters written by a man named Paul, an early leader in the church, to a church in Corinth, Greece. That church very quickly became legendary for being a sinful, horrible example of the Christian faith. If you turn out to be one of the Christians who is like the Corinthian Christians, listen, you're part of the problem, okay? If you turn out to be like one of the Corinthian Christians, you are the folks about whom the world says, who needs Jesus? Because I can live like that on my own. The Corinthians were a complete disaster. There were things happening in that church that would absolutely blow your mind, including incest, which was treated like it was no big deal by the Corinthian Christians. Paul wrote some letters to try to straighten those folks out, and he even threatened to show up and kick some people out of the church if they didn't take care of the mess on their own. Listen to how Paul ended his second letter to them. Paul's letters, these two, they came with a pretty heavy hand. But now listen to how he ends it. Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. Grow to maturity. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. Now, I know that sounded all bible so let me translate it into real-world language. I guarantee you that based on all the other things that Paul had already written in these previous two letters, that this is how they heard what Paul said. Paul said, oh, by the way, I'm not done yet. I got a list for you. You should quit whining all the time and grow up for crying out loud. Quit tearing each other down. Can't you guys get along? God himself does not want to be with you because of how you're acting. So straighten up. You might actually get to experience God and his closeness and the peace that comes from that. Paul was kind of wearing them out a little bit. The Corinthians were the kind of people who give Christians and Jesus a bad name because they hadn't grown up in their faith. They had heard the Jesus message, believed, agreed, said, Jesus, I want you to come and live in my life. But then they stayed right where they had been. They lived no differently, having come to know Christ, than they did before. Here's the implication. Making a one-time commitment to Jesus does not cut it. Christ followers need to grow up in their faith. The New Testament contains 13 of Paul's letters to various churches and individuals scattered around the Mediterranean world of ancient days. And he actually pastored one of those churches in Ephesus, Turkey, for about three years. He really loved those people. And they were pretty solid in their faith, too, unlike the Corinthians. And still, to this stable, respectable, growing church, Paul wrote these words. Listen to this. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Then he said, now these are the gifts 
Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So I think we can see from these two examples that lie at both ends of the spectrum that no matter what stage of life we are in, no matter what stage we are at in terms of our faith, Paul's message was consistent. It is time to grow. Therefore, we must intentionally try to do it, to grow and grow up in our faith. It's part and parcel of being a disciple, growing. So that being the established fact, uh, let's decide this morning to make that our personal policy. I mean, you can just sit there if you want to and hear a sermon, make no decisions, and change nothing. You have that option every single week. But you also have the option 52 times a year to hear the word of the Lord, humble yourself, and accept it, and then make a change that makes you more and more like Christ. One of those opportunities is before you this morning. You could make this your personal policy that we will be people who will do whatever it takes to grow in our faith. Put another way, we'll be true disciples instead of half-disciples or posers. In the time that I have left today, I want to share with you what I think are two real-world, real-life, practical things that you can do. You can start on them today, and this week you will grow spiritually. In fact, if you'll work on these two things, if you'll just make them a regular part of your life from this day forward, you will continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, They're two very different things, so maybe one of them will fit you well enough that you can start on it immediately. But I stand by both of them um, as proven, absolutely certain ways to make your faith grow instead of withering and dying. First is this. It's a mathematical formula. Learn plus obey one time per day. Uh, It'd be great if you obeyed all day long, all of the time, but um, we're talking about practice here, okay? Learn plus obey one time every day. Last week, I spoke about how giving yourself over to praising God on a weekly basis can help you keep that connection with him, a connection that is vital and passionate and fresh. And um, we we brought this up here last week, this throne. Because we worked on this idea that I can make a one-time connection with God, but if I want that connection to grow, if I want it to be something that ministers strength to me, then I need to make a regular appointment to meet with God. And we're going to talk a little bit uh, in in just a couple of moments about a, a daily kind of appointment. But last week we were talking about a weekly appointment to praise Him. 
about how it is that, that in music and in prayer, we have this opportunity to connect with the God who made us and to tell him thank you and to say publicly what a great and mighty God he is. In the scriptures, Psalm 22, 3 said it builds a throne for him. It creates a throne room, a place where he comes and lives. He inhabits the praises of his people. That's great. A one-time connection with him is great. A once-a-week connection with him is great. But we need more than that if our faith is going to grow. And so um, I talked also last week about how this is not a mathematical formula. Praising God, you know, sing two songs, pray one prayer, bingo, you're close to God. But that it was more like mama's secret recipe, how you have to take all the ingredients and, and with a little bit of love, put all those things together and then something magical happens. That's the truth with connecting with God through praise and worship. But I will tell you today, I have something that has mathematical kind of certainty to it. It absolutely works every single time. Learn plus obey one time a day and you will find that your faith grows and thrives. Let me explain. The Jesus people all the time, we Jesus people, talk about reading the Bible, and I understand that that can be pretty overwhelming. If you tried it years and years ago, you probably picked up a translation of the Bible that was translated from two foreign languages into another foreign language, English. But English in 1611, it's a really difficult thing to read the oldest copies of the Bible that most, that most of us had handed to us as children. And so we started reading and we went, wow, don't get that. And I'm not going to just do this when I don't get anything out of it. And we laid the Bible to the side. And so when Christians like me then stand up in front of you and say, you should read the Bible, people go, yeah, I've tried that, but it doesn't work. I'm here to tell you today that, number one, there are other translations of the Bible that you can get your hands on for free. And I also want you to know, it will literally change your life if you just take a practical approach to it. Uh, It's true that the Bible is difficult to read in some places, and even where it's easy to read, its content really challenges everyone. And if you try to take a disciplined approach to this, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to read for an hour every day, you're going to fail. Okay? I mean, it's just, that's the way it's going to go. Um, possible exceptions, but let's just do it this way. Let's see how rare the exceptions are. Um, hands of everyone in the room who reads the Bible for at least one hour a day every day. Okay. So it doesn't happen, does it? So if we set that as our goal, it's time for me to turn over a new leaf, hour a day, it's not going to happen. So what if we, uh, if, if we really want to see some change in our life? What if we set a goal that was actually attainable? So here's what I suggest. Learn plus obey one time a day. And here's what I mean by learn. Carve out some time to sit down and read the scriptures. And it doesn't matter how long it takes. Just read until you come across an idea that makes you go, huh. Just one of those that kind of jumps off the page or piques your interest. Maybe it's something new. Well, I hadn't, I hadn't picked up on that before. Or something that just gives you pause and went, well, I, I wouldn't have guessed something like that was in the Bible. Then just stop and ponder that one thing and you're done. Just read until there's that moment that you and God stumble upon a learning moment. Write down the idea that occurred to you and just maybe give it some thought a couple of other times during the day. But now here's the crucial part. This is absolutely essential. That at some point during that day, you take a deliberate action that is obedient to what you learned. 
See, God doesn't want you to read the Bible so that you know Bible trivia. He doesn't want you to read the Bible so that once in a while, when you sit down to watch Jeopardy and the Bible category comes on, you go, I'm good for at least one out of the four. That was never God's intent. Listen, most people who are really good at Bible trivia are really hard on people, okay? The people who are Bible trivia nuts, most of them beat people up with Bible trivia. So it couldn't have been God's goal. The whole point in him giving this book to us is so that we could know him. The way you get to know him is you sit down with him and say, Lord, would you just open my mind for a moment so I can, I can learn something today? And you read until you have that aha moment. And when you have that aha moment, God answered your prayer. He gave you exactly what it is that you were asking for and that you were looking for. And if you take that one thing that God gives you each day, contemplate it here and there, and take one action, one specific thing that is your effort to be obedient to what God has shown you. Listen, friends, you're going to grow up in your faith. Because the opposite we've seen taking place, right? Times that we saw something but ignored it. We saw something and, and, and there was that witness of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. This is true and this is for me, but I don't like it because it, it means I've got to change some things. I mean, I've got to stop doing something. I have to start doing something. And we become disobedient to it. And you've seen what happens in your own heart, haven't you? And you feel a little more distant from God. And you feel ashamed of yourself. And when you feel ashamed, you certainly don't want to look God in the eye. And you find yourself stepping farther and farther away from him. We've seen the effects of not obeying the one thing that he gives us, right? It shrinks our faith. Listen, I'm going to stand by this one. I know there's Bible reading plans that will help you read for 30 minutes a day, and you can read the Bible six times a year. and all. They're great if you can get there, but I'll tell you this. It's within reach for every person in this sanctuary to read until you learn one thing. To, to read until God breathes something on the Scriptures, and they come to life in front of you. And when you've got that thing, latch onto it because it's from God. And with the help of his Holy Spirit, just do one thing that constitutes obedience. And you will see that your faith, which may feel tiny, stunted, and small, will begin to grow and strengthen and mature and flourish. And in the process, you will become like those people whose faith you look up to. You know how they became the way that they are? Not by praying four hours a day, not by reading for an hour a day, but by just taking whatever it is that God gave them, latching onto it, meditating on it as they went about their day, and saying, yes, Lord, to obedience to the one thing he's given them. You do that every day of your life, you grow in your faith. So there's the first thing. It's practical, it's simple, it's just this. And it's money in the bank, spiritually speaking. Ask God to turn on the lights for you. Read until you notice something. Review that thought a couple times during the day. Do just one thing that constitutes obedience and you will find yourselves changed. It's a good place to start. It's an effective place to start. And I hope that somebody and several somebodies here today will make the decision that I can do so that I'm going to do. Second spiritual growth tactic is much more difficult. But its effectiveness is also guaranteed. Write this one down. It will produce growth in your life like nothing else can. When I was preparing this message today, I had a very clear sense as I got to this point in my writing. I had a very clear sense that God was speaking to me. So I stopped. I said, Lord, what is it? I believe that what he said to me was that this 
is going to be the substance of a breakthrough for somebody today. Somebody stalled out over the years in this area. And when you hear what God's word has to say to you, the Holy Spirit's going to encourage you and inspire you. And you're going to say, today, my life changes because I'm going to become obedient to God's word. You want to hear it? Okay. It's, uh, like I said, different than the other one. It's more difficult. But it's okay that it's more difficult because when God spoke to me, I stopped and prayed for you. So he's going to give you the help that you need. Don't know who you are, but God brought somebody here today to, to learn this one. Here it is. It's the time in your life for you to let God lead you in the next big step in your faith. And that step is to take the tithing test. Tithing is a planned, disciplined, and faithful way of giving to God that is taught time and time again in both testaments of the Bible. Jesus himself taught it as a given, regular, expected practice among God's people. The word tithe means tenth, and it refers to us giving one-tenth of our financial increase to God. It's real simple. Whatever it is that God puts in your hands, money-wise, you just take a tenth of it, and you return it to him with no strings attached. It's not an occasional gift to God. It's a respectful, obedient, regular, planned practice, and it grows people in their faith. Lots of us give whatever we decide and whenever we decide and to whatever projects or causes we decide, and each of those is a good thing. They're good, but they aren't tithing. The Bible calls that kind of giving an offering, and it encourages that, by the way, but tithing, it commands. And tithing is giving one-tenth of your income, typically to the church that you attend, and just turning loose of it. You don't use it to advance your agenda in the church. You don't direct it to one particular ministry because you don't want your money being spent on X because once you turn loose of it, it's not your money. Tithing is just giving one-tenth of your income and letting go of it in a no-strings-attached offering to God through his church. And by the way, that part, the business of loss of control, it's just as big to God as the percentage because it's all about trusting him and obeying him. This is hard stuff, isn't it? But it'll grow you. I know you've all heard of people who tithe and you may be thinking, how do people ever get to the place where they can do that? I mean, that's a big chunk of money and things are tight. How do, how do people ever get to the place they can do that? They must have been really mature in their faith in order to make that decision. Here's what I have found out. My personal experience from folks coming and talking to me about this, um, I've usually found that it works just the opposite. The disciples who become tithers are not giants in the faith. Most of them are people who are struggling with their faith and who are also struggling financially and can't find a way to stretch those ends enough that they meet. But for some reason, at that time in their life, while they're struggling, God comes to them, taps them on the heart, and says, I'm calling you to take a great big old giant leap of faith into my arms and see if I won't catch you. 
They usually feel afraid. They usually doubt that it's going to work out, but there's something in their heads and something in their hearts that is telling them, today is the day for you to become obedient to what the scriptures teach. Today is the day that you need to just jump into the arms of God and let him prove himself to you. And so in the middle of their doubt and in the middle of their fear and in the middle of their math, which makes it all the more fearful and doubtful, they decide that they are going to give it a try and that today is the day. And often, that decision comes on a day when they hear this passage from the Bible's Old Testament that I want to read to you. I'm going to read it to you and and ask that maybe you would just listen and see if God is nudging your heart. This is God speaking to his people through the prophet Malachi. He says, Ever since the time of your ancestors, You've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Doesn't that sound good? Return to me, and I'll return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? And God responds to them saying, will a mere mortal rob God? You rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God said, in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be no room to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. When I read about a land and a whole nation being cursed, it just makes me wonder what would have happened if the America that called itself a Christian nation had started out and been faithful to God in this matter all these years. I'll tell you exactly what I think would have happened. We wouldn't have to ask political leaders to do something about a multiple trillion dollar deficit. Because God would have poured out a blessing on our nation. I said that the disciples who become tithers usually are immature strugglers who are having a hard time with both their faith and their finances, but who one day hear God whispering to their heart, and then they also hear this passage that day. And, and when they hear it, they hear four things. First, they hear God saying, you rob me in tithes and offerings. They hear God saying, that's why your finances seem to be cursed. They hear God saying, test me in this. And they hear God saying, I'll pour out a big old blessing. If you heard the first two things, you robbed me, that's why your finances seem to be cursed, I want to make sure that you hear the third and the fourth things on that list as well. They said, test me in this and see if I won't pour out a blessing. What's it mean to test God in this matter? I I think it means just make some real measurable effort to obey. The amount doesn't matter. And see if God doesn't then meet your needs. 
Start small if you must. I know it is a scary thing to even think about giving away money that you need, let alone 10% of it. But I also say this, go as big as you can in the direction of complete, full obedience. And once God proves himself, then go all the way to complete obedience. And I guarantee you two things that you will grow in your faith. You will know him like you've never known him before because you will see that he is a God who is trustworthy and keeps his promises and goes beyond that to being lavish and generous with his people. I guarantee you that. And I will also guarantee you that your faith will grow. And again, you'll become one of those people whose faith you've always looked up to. It happens. I'd, I'd ask today... You know, um, hey, if you've learned this lesson and God's stand, I'm not going to do it. Because I also know that the scriptures teach us to do this quietly and without public applause. But I'll tell you this, you won't have to ask 10 people in this church, hey, have you done this whole tithing thing? Before you come across somebody who goes, yes, we have. And let me tell you about what God has done in our lives as a result of it. Growth is God's plan for you. When he was dreaming about the two of you forming a relationship, he wasn't thinking, I sure hope they'll say yes to my invitation to friendship, but keep it real surfacey and shallow. That wasn't his hope. He wasn't saying, I hope they'll get a little bit of religion, but none of the blessings that come from real, deep, authentic, mature relationship. Instead, God said, I want to give them everything I've got. I hope they'll get in deep with me. See, he was dreaming of the two of you taking a journey together, and some of that journey has some uphill sections that are really tough and tiring and difficult. But those sections of the journey will make you stronger. That's why God mapped out this kind of a journey, was so that the two of you would grow closer and that you could learn to rely on him, because he loves to be leaned on. The kind of friendship that he wants. So if you want to grow in your faith, if you, if you realize that it is time to start maturing and, and to become what God dreamed you could be when he dreamed you into existence from eternity past, why not make the decision today to start doing one of those two things? Learn plus obey one time a day or take the tithing test. God will take it with you. God will meet you in the middle of your challenge He'll help you successfully complete it. And he will grow you all along the way. Then get this. He'll also reward you openly. God says, you want to do some faithful things in secret? I'll reward you openly for them. You don't have to go broadcast to your friends that you're going to start this whole tithing thing. Just you and Jesus quietly go about it. And you see what he does. But today, I am not about the rewards. I wanted to talk with you today about growth. It being God's expectation, it being your responsibility, and it being within reach if you take real, realistic, and practical steps. Like learning and obeying one time a day. Or testing the God who invites you to go on a journey with him. There's a reason that we didn't take the, uh, didn't receive the offering earlier And it wasn't because I forgot. And it wasn't because I intended to manipulate you out of more of your money. Um, It's because of that experience that I had in my office earlier this week where God and I got a chance to talk. And he said, Cliff, this is a breakthrough day for somebody. 
I know he's been planning it, and I know he's been talking to somebody. Like I said before, you don't have to tell another living soul. But maybe today, you heard that message, and you said, yep, I'm the one. Then know this, my friend. Growth is one act of obedience away. And if you make a long obedience in the same direction, you will find that there is great strength and maturity that awaits you. So, Lord, I want to ask that uh, you would come in this place today and meet with my friends. Some of them are wanting to obey, but they're very afraid because they balanced the checkbook yesterday and they saw that the bills are more than the income. And it always seems like it's that way. And Lord, I'm going to leave it between you and them to figure out the math that gets them started. But I guess it's really faith. It's really trust that gets any of us started on the whole tithing thing. So speak to whoever it, it is that you had in mind earlier this week, Lord. But I also pray that you'd speak to all of my brothers and sisters here today about that stretch of the journey that we can make together when we, when we put our nose in that book and we just listen for your voice. I know there are people who sit here today feeling guilty and ashamed because the Bible reading thing never seems to work for them. But Lord, I pray that you'd free them from the shame of the past. And I also ask that you would free them from unrealistic expectations about what kind of person they'll be by Tuesday. I pray that you would just come alongside them and say, let's, let's just go for a short walk together today. Let's take a look at my word. I got something for you. So, Lord, in the place of guilt and shame and failure in the past, would you give confidence and trust and the assurance of your blessing? I ask these things in your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you're uh, wondering, why did Cliff preach about tithing today? Is the church in financial trouble? Uh, two things. Uh, I didn't preach about tithing today. I preached about growing in your faith today. Secondly, no, the church isn't in financial trouble. Here in a couple of weeks, the uh, finance team will give a report. You'll see that God blessed us ridiculously in this last year. And um, we did ministry with every penny of it. And we have uh, a bigger dream for the year to come. Uh, but God just keeps giving and, and supplying our needs. So no, the church is not in financial trouble. It's because of faithful tithers and givers of all sorts that we're able to do the great things that we get to do in this place. But I know this much. There's a blessing of God available to those who walk in obedience. And the blessing is growth. And when your faith grows, you will have a tighter connection, a more intimate connection with the God who you've been serving. That is his desire for you. It's my desire for you as pastor and why I preached what I preached today. Okay, stand with me, please. Lord, it's been good to be in your house one more time, and I thank you for your word, that you don't leave us in pl uh, the, the place where we just have to stumble around in the darkness trying to figure out life on our own, let alone figure out what pleases you. Thanks for making it plain. 
Um, honestly, you could have uh, you could have went a little easier on the tithing thing. Well, a man robbed God, but uh, thank you for making it plain enough for us to understand. We do give you thanks for that. I thank you, Lord, for uh, meeting my friends here today, because some of them needed to hear your voice. And I just trust that your spirit drew close to them and um, gave them the comfort that they looked for, gave them the encouragement that they looked for, and inspired their faithful obedience. Now as we go from this place, we want to ask you to go with us. Because if we're going to walk in obedience, um, the path is uphill. We need your strength. We know you're good for it because you promised, so we give you thanks for all of that. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Friends, go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, so may you know his peace this day and always. Amen.